Welcome to this talk from the Canon Do Zen Meditation Center. Located in Mountain View, California, Canon Do's meditation practice is open to the public. For more information or to get in touch with us, you can visit our website at canondo.org. That's K-A-N-N-O-N-D-O dot O-R-G. So the topic of my talk tonight is it's um, called who are you really for the past month um, I've had um, the pleasure of being um, quite sick uh, with COVID <laughs> it was really quite interesting um, it's my first time getting COVID um, and initially it was quite an annoyance uh, having to cancel all of my plans. Then as uh, things progressed, got a little more serious when breathing became a challenge. Oh, well, this is new, I thought. <laughs> um, I started the medication uh, called Paxlovid, which you probably all familiar, might be familiar with, which is an antiviral. Um, which, and I strongly recommend having some around if you are very ill with COVID. This was much better now. Um, I felt, I began to feel much better. Then a few days later, I thought I was done and I got sick again. And then not as sick as the first time. And then slowly became better. An interesting thing happened though. Um, as this happened, um, I had to give up all expectations because I really didn't know when I'd be better. Christmas, New Year's came and went. All of us in the family um, were sick at various stages of the illness. The well ones turning to nurses for the sick ones. You know, in Sashin, we do often do a retreat and we live a very simple life. However, there's still an element during that, that I'm choosing this I'm here because I choose to be here. When you're sick, there's really very little choice. In fact, there's no choice. <laughs> you're just sick. There is only what is moment after moment. It's a very direct experience. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go and catch a little COVID as a spiritual practice, <laughs> but perhaps we can take away a few tidbits from a personal experience of being ill or otherwise having something that you want taken away. One, I could feel my desire to have energy and to be able to do more together with the absolute inability to do so. <laughs> Having had the good fortune thus far to be healthy most of my life, this was a very odd feeling, I must say. Usually we, we think of something that we want, that we desire and we kind of tend to fuse it with the actualization of that desire. So I want to go get a drink, I go get a drink, right? 
but but it was very things were very very slow you would think oh, i want a drink of water and it might take a good 20 minutes before or more before you actually got up and got that drink of water it's very very interesting making a nice hot tea became the momentous event for the afternoon <laughs> the rest of the world sped by And as it slowed down, I started to ponder some of our Buddhist practice. So that was about all I could do. <laughs> and one phrase that kind of came to me was, for the sake of all sentient beings. What is that? What, is, what are they talking about for this doing stuff? We're always talking about, we do this for the sake of all beings. Sake of it, and I started thinking about it and you know, we often say it, and it underscores the motivation of our, of our uh, Zen practice in the Mahayana tradition, that we practice even all the time when we practice here or at home, you know, we're, we're doing it for the sake of all sentient beings. And initially, you know, Buddhist practice was more, a little bit more in the Hinayana tradition. Actually, they didn't call it Hinayana or Mahayana. They were just being Buddhists. But later, it kind of was uh, felt to be more associated with the Hinayana tradition. And then this practice of Mahayana Buddhism came, which really you were giving all the merit to other sentient beings. You were not keeping anything for yourself. And I thought, what does that do for our practice? Why, why do we do that? I think there's some way in which it kind of opens up our practice. Focusing on our direct effort, on our own effort, on ourselves, it can feel a little bit limiting or, or restrictive. You know, how does my effort help anyone else? How can, how can my effort to try to be a good person help to heal a, a very broken world? So I think, is this like a, is there, is this just a phrase or is there some way in which we can kind of sort of a practical person sort of operationalize it, <laughs> you know? Um, kind of, and, and what does it mean for the sake of being? I think usually it's sort of for the sake of the benefit of sentient beings is kind of how we mean the sake of helping or benefiting other sentient beings is how we think of it. So I kind of started breaking it down a little bit. There's sort of, in any event, anything that we do, there's sort of a lead up, right? And I had lots of time to think about this. <laughs> and like, there's kind of like, we, we're thinking of doing something, right? We're in that contemplative phase. So in that in, in initial consideration, I think about doing something. I want to do it for sentient beings. Do I think that it will help sentient beings? And in what way? We think about it, we might ask someone's advice, we plan an intervention of some kind. Then we execute in some fashion. And then we can think about the assessment of the results of our actions. There might be the immediate, consequences, there might be some reaction, physical, emotional, 
It might be the medium or longer term consequences of our actions. And no one, you know, I started thinking, no one really knows for sure the consequences of your actions. You don't really know. How does it affect someone? What are the long term? Maybe, maybe something gets worse before it gets better. You know, um, who knows, right? It's hard to assess. But really, all we can hope for is really our attitude our intent that we're bringing to it. And even often, even with the best intent, we're sometimes surprised by what life brings us. I know I've often been surprised <laughs> by results of my own actions. And then what do we do with that result? Do we reject it, deny it, be angry about it? That can certainly happen, I know. In intimate relationships, that often happens, right? You say something and we're like, oh, something else happens. So what if we try to greet the new event? Again, sort of an iterative process of curiosity and openness. Even our own reactions in that same way with curiosity and openness. Look at that, I'm sad, I'm annoyed, I'm angry. Look at that, I wonder what will happen next. Now what? Now, I'm not meaning to suggest in this that we don't take responsibilities for our own emotions or, or actions and reactions. On the contrary, I think perhaps by being fully present with ourselves, we actually are able to take more of that responsibility. It can perhaps offer us the chance to most fully meet the next moment, especially when the outcome is somewhat unexpected. And you know, the last few years of worth of talks, I've always talked about William, so I need to talk about Elise, with my newest granddaughter. <laughs> um, when I was finally able to see her after a number of weeks of illness, she excitedly took a few steps towards me, almost falling over. She's almost a year old, but knowing that I would catch and support her. Kind of towards me. She grabbed onto my hands. And this felt more confident, started walking, running almost confidently. Where are we going? I wondered. She's coming towards me. She proceeded confidently. I had to back up down the hall, then took a right turn towards the bathroom. She knew where she was going. I don't know where she And then she stopped in front of a hallway mirror, looking at herself and at my reflection. She was just enthralled. She was in seventh heaven. She had discovered something new. She discovered herself. She was discovering me. She wasn't sure. No, she was absolutely enthralled. So what if we approached the world with that spirit of discovery? I invite you to look at your next difficulty with this kind of a spirit and see what comes up. Now what? And welcome what you see both inside and out, with the curiosity and acceptance of that little baby. Not because you want it to be that way, or planned it that way, 
but because it is what it is right now, today. In a way, it is, well, sacred. In this way, we can cut, I think, we can cut through delusion to the heart of reality and be one with the Buddhas and the ancestors. Reality can be a little gritty at times, as we're finding out if we just turn on the news. Our egos are doing their best to dampen down that grittiness, sometimes soften the blow, sometimes connect difficult events with a story to help us make sense of a confusing inner and outer world. It is all right. Sometimes people talk about just getting rid of your ego. But I think that ego has an important role in helping us function in the world. Do not begrudge it. Sometimes I've talked a few times sometimes about Don Hoffman, who's a, a great psychologist and also a scientist, you can look him up, uh, but he studies evolutionary theory. And his idea is that, you know, natural selection um, is directed to basically sort of fitness payoffs so that you could kind of, you know, that, that each organism develops an internal model of reality that increases that fitness payoff. So that could be either reproduction or survival. So he talks about the fact that we're kind of, we're not really designed to see reality as it is, um, but to fulfill this evolutionary project, to fulfill the evolutionary fitness, that our organisms, our biology is really designed to fulfill evolutionary um, fitness. And so he describes, he, he defines perception, and I, I love this, um, perception as a species-specific user interface. Well, some of you might be in computers, so that might mean more to you than to me, but I would actually probably add to it a species-cultural-specific <laughs> user interface. Okay. So that direct behavior towards survival and reproduction, not truth. So ego is kind of a, a short form for this species cultural specific, you know, uh, user interface. So it's, it helps us function in the world. We, we, as when we're babies, we're kids, we learn the rules of how we get by, how do we survive, how do we make it, how do we make things happen. Right? That's, that's our ego. And it's it can be helpful. But when we attribute to it more importance or validity, we, we attribute some kind of absolute truth to its perception, its or set of perceptions, that this is how things really are, then we maybe can get into some trouble. So I think it can be helpful to cultivate like a soft and flexible approach that takes different views into account and allows perhaps a new perspective to emerge, especially 
when there are some difficulties that we run into. Perhaps this might be a little of what is meant by for the sake of all beings. I have two poems to share with you, and then I will invite your comments and questions. Uh, one I wrote, um, and then the second one is a, a translation of a, of a Romanian poem that uh, my dad had on his wall some years back, and I, I tried to translate it, so I will do my best. It, it doesn't quite rhyme as well in English, but I tried to keep the meaning rather than um, the, try to make it too lyrical. So this is the first one I wrote. Um, okay. Two steps forward, one step back. The dance of growth continues. What matters, any of it? The universe so big, how does a little stone, my little self, make any difference at all? Do not trouble yourself with these little things. It is all a matter of perspective. Small or big, what is that after all? Every molecule breathes and is and is not, too, as are you. So take your time, skip no steps on the stepless road, for you have already arrived. Welcome. <laughs> Second poem is Learn From Everything. Learn from the rivers to have a steady flow. Learn from the flames that all will turn to ash. Learn from the shadow to be silent and aware. Learn from the mountain to unyieldingly believe. Learn from the sun that everything must set Learn from the stones how much you need to say. Learn from the wind that quietly weaves the path. How gently in the world your step to tread. Learn from all as all are your kin. To walk with grace through life. To die as you would live. Learn from the tiny worm that no one is forgotten. Learn from the lotus to cleanse and purify yourself. Learn from the flames what needs to burn in you. Learn from the water to not roll back the time. Learn from the shadow to embrace humility. Learn from the cliff to endure the hard fortunes of the storms. Learn from the sun to know your season well. Learn from the stars the right time to rebel. Learn from the cricket to sing when you're alone. Learn from the moon to face darkness with a smile. Learn from the eagle to fly when feeling burdened down and see the little ant 
carrying it all so lightly. Learn from the flower to never cause dismay. Learn from the sheep that kindness is the way. Learn from the birds to spend more time in flight. Learn from them all, because all will pass away. Be mindful, child of glory, of the world through which you pass, to learn from all that perishes, to live your very best. Thank you. <laughs> Take any comments or questions? Thoughts, reflections? Good to see you. Nice to see you, yes. How are you? Good. 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 Nice to meet you. I was trying to remember user face. User interface. Yeah, yeah. So let's say, what's it called here? Um, species, cultural specific, user interface. Cultural specific. He called it. Interface. He called it species specific, but I think there's more to it. <laughs> so I maybe think we. I I think you know his his points on his. You can watch his Netflix videos. They're very, they're very good. Uh, is that we are we we are capable of knowing the truth, right? We are not designed to know the truth. We, we actually can perceive reality more, more accurately. We're just not designed to do that. So it's not our default. If we just do our default, we are designed to procreate and to survive. That will be our, our natural. If we just act naturally, that is what, what our actions will lead to because that's how we are wired. You know, he gives this great example of, of a beetle that the Australian, some kind of Australian beetle, if anybody has seen this, and the Australian beetle is, looks for something shiny and brown to mate with. So what happened in Australia was that the, you know, people were throwing away beer bottles out in the wilderness and, and this poor beetle would try to mate with a beer bottle and they were going extinct because they just could not get it, that that was not a female. And they just kept mating with this poor bottle. And they actually had to change the color of the bottles of beer in Australia in order to save the beetle. <laughs> because this is an example. This, this thing could not get it, that it's something brown and shiny was not its mate. And so now that's an example of a beetle's you know, genetic. Uh, and we're, we're maybe not quite like that. We have a little bit more complex programming, but but in many ways, we're very fixated on, on a few things in life. And so his, he has this little graph that's like survival goes this way and then truth is this way, it's on the vertical axis. Like we're capable of doing it. We're just, we don't do it by default. And so in a way, this kind of training of being still watching our breath actually takes us off of that default program, I think is what that's happening. So your talk reminded me of a uh, conversation I was having with my wife last week. And she had said, because we've been having some issues lately, and she's like, what we need to start practicing is stop asking the question, why did this happen to me? And ask the question, why did it happen for me? Mm. And then that's then your point of curiosity is stimulated that for me. Because then that creates curiosity. Why did this happen for me? What do 
Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What is this offering me? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very different, different. No, totally different approach. Right, right. So this was about um, Don Hoffman's uh, graphs about uh, the question is about the um, one graph or one um, axis he has survival of behavior and then the other one is sort of seeing reality as it is. Um, is that the same truth as in meditation? Um, I think we get closer to it with meditation. You know, I don't know that there is one absolute truth ever, right? Like what is true for me right now might be different than what is true for you. Like, you know, one might be cold, one of us might be cold, one might be warm, like in our sensations. And so, or tired or sleepy or not, right? So everybody's truth, for the, even for the moment, is so different, right? For all, all of us in this room, probably, right? We're very, there's some things we share, and then there's many things that are different. So, what is, you know, so what is true? You know, there's people who argue, you know, the whole, if the tree, if there's no one hearing the tree, is, is there a tree falling, right? You know, um, and I don't pretend to want to, to answer that, right? Um, but I think, you know, I think you get close to it when you ask the question, what is true right now, right? When you're, when you're trying to come back into yourself, you're slowing down and you try to be open, you try to be curious, I think you have the best chance of getting it. And that's what we practice in meditation, kind of coming back to ourselves. Yeah, okay. Huh. What is true? What is true for me right now? What, is, what am I seeing? What am I feeling? What am I... That's, I think that's the practice. That's why we, you know. Okay, can I just Of course, of course. Let me share it. So you're saying that survival perception and then true perception it's true perception not perceiving truth like i perceive my true perceptions right a little bit yeah yeah i i don't know you know um you are perceiving more of what is it's probably all relative still you know like what do we really see like even our vision right like we can only see a certain bandwidths and so mm -hmm. forth and there's yeah. there's a lot more happening than we can ever even, who knows how much is going on what we can perceive i have no idea but um i think say that again because it sounded good the for you're perceiving <laughs> more of what is something like that is that what you said let's say it again what i said was rather than perceiving truth i am perceiving true perceptions yeah 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 right because there is no real absolute truth you are having perceptions that are uh, uh, 
you know, you're, you're a little bit, dis you, we can never really disentangle completely from our egos because we're living organisms, right? Like, if I say I don't want to breathe, there's a certain point at which my body will say, well, I'm not listening to you, we're just going to breathe, right? <laughs> Whether you like it or not, or, or be hungry or what have you, right? So there's a certain point at which your body just sort of says, okay, you're not in charge anymore. So, um, but, but if we, if we attempt to kind of be present with our perceptions in a conscious way, his, his point is that we can see a little bit more along that axis rather than, okay, what will put more money in my bank account, you know, give me a bigger house or what have you. Right. Yeah. Can I ask you one more question? Sure. Sure. We're, we're so, in. I think earlier you said that like, um, all things, like our truth is relative. Like there's no like absolute truth, it's just like relative. I think you said that. Yeah. Maybe I got it wrong. <laughs> I could have misperceived it because there's no truth. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. So if if like our truth is relative, then what is Buddha nature? Oh. That's a great question. I love your question. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for allowing me to ask it. That's a great question. If our truth is relative, what is Buddha nature? I can answer that for myself. Um, Buddha nature is Absolute earnestness. Sort of being willing to see what you don't want to see. Being willing to know what you don't want to know. You know. Um, sort of. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that question. I want to see if there's anybody on. I'll get you guys. I just want to make sure that we're. Are there any questions on Zoom before we enter more on the on the floor? Huh? Oh, we cannot hear them. Ah, anybody have a question on Zoom? Okay. Okay, we'll go back. We'll go back to the floor. Okay. Yes. Uh, some of what you were saying uh, kind of brought to mind. Uh, I remember a long time ago learning how you know the idea of like a honeybee sees a flower through its perceptual equipment much differently than we do. And that long time ago, as a, as a kind of a kid, got me really thinking about what. So then the whole idea of objective reality—what is that? Am I wrong, or is the honeybee? Wrong? And really, I guess it's the, the whole not knowing is a little bit more intimate as far as it's the co-creation of what we consider reality between the perceiver and then supposedly the perceived is what creates everything in the first place. Because neither really exists on their own. It's kind of the relationship is, is what's the more the, the foundational thing as opposed to the things in relationship. Right. I think so. I think so. I think you got it. Yeah. 
So for the Zoom people, I don't know if you could hear everything. It had to do, let's see if I can capture this. The, the reality is the relationship between the perceiver and the perceived, that it's tied up in the, it's not one, the perceiver or the perceived, but that it's in the relationship between the two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Um, because, you know, it's a, it's a very, uh, so the question is, how, uh, Suzuki Roshi said that Zen is Hinayana practice with Mahayana mind. Huh? And, um, hmm. yeah, I could, because, you know, it's you're very self-focused. You're you're focused on your breathing. You're focused on the the small, you know, um, movements of your breath of your body as you're engaging in zazen or walking meditation, and so you're very focused inwards. But at the same time, you have this like this intention that you're I'm practicing for the sake of all sentient beings. So I'm giving all my merit away. We're giving it away all the time, right? Every service and constantly, even every, every time we meditate, we do that. And so, uh, so we have that openness. So we're, we're meditating, we're taking care of, of ourselves and understanding us ourselves, but we're doing it with this open attitude rather than we're not trying to get enlightened ourselves. You know, we're just, we're just practicing, we're just taking care of every minute every day with this open mind. I think that's how I see it. The Hinayana. Yeah. Thank you. Hernan? Hey, hi Brenda, good to see you. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for the talk, very interesting. And thank you for the poem about learning. That was very beautiful. And talking about the poem, I don't know, maybe I was distracted. But somehow I was waiting for, not waiting, but kind of expecting for what I learned from the trees. And I did, and flowers came, but not trees. So I'm wondering, what, what do you think that we could learn from trees? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, could you repeat that? What, he said he was waiting for the trees. What are we supposed to learn from the trees? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so, yeah. What I learned from trees uh, is to be to be grounded, you know, to have our roots in the ground uh, and be stable, and to you know grow towards the sky, you know, and and not to worry too much. <laughs> and they bend. Hmm? And they bend. They bend. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anybody else what they learn from trees? Very huggable sometimes. <laughs> yes. They, they are. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. so, so they are meditating yeah. and they are taking care of themselves and also, but they're providing oxygen for all of humanity. So mm -hmm. they are doing the Hinayana Mahayana thing. Yep. 
for the all sentient beings. For all sentient beings. <laughs> and, yeah. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, two comments. One was the the fact that your children look at what you do, not what you say. <laughs> so walking the walk is more effective. Uh, it's showing them something. And then we were talking about the the dancing woolly masters and the talking about physics principles and the uncertainty principle of that. And the fact that if you I think it's a, I think the double slit experiment too. It does like the, the observation of something changes the outcome in an experiment, sort of fundamental reality, which is always interesting. I, th I think, well, maybe this is a good place to end. <laughs> we, we talk, we sit, and then we talk a little bit. Not too much, just a little I mean, bit. It's I like it. It's yeah. entertaining, right? Yeah, and, yeah. It's, it, and it's like Aristotle or something, something exploring things. But uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to what you said earlier, where Buddha nature is about accepting things you don't want to hear. And that comes across to me as negative. So isn't Buddha nature about being, having equanimity and joy and whatever it is? So, I mean, it shouldn't be about whether or not I want to see it or not, just accepting it for what it is. You're right. Perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so accepting things joyfully, accepting everything joyfully. That's Buddha nature. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Let's. Well, thank you for. Yeah. Have a good evening. This talk was brought to you by the Canando Zen Meditation Center in Mountain View, California. For more information or to support this podcast, go to canando.org. That's K A N N O N D O dot O R G.